Vishnupadaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Shaminiti Namane Namaste Sarasati Deve Kauravani Pracharine Nirvisesa Sanyavari Paschacha Disatarine Srila Prabhupada Kije So I was just reading this morning, Prabhupada said something which we're going to read, it'll probably be next week or the week after, but he said, Maya is always peeping on you, like looking to find an opportunity to deviate you. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it looks like Krishna consciousness, and so it's, uh, it's very interesting. Maya is always looking for an opportunity to deviate us. And yesterday in class, I don't know if you were in class, but yesterday in class, we had discussed a very important point. And the important point that we discussed was finding areas of Krishna consciousness that give you inspiration, give you satisfaction, and give you happiness, because that solidifies your Krishna consciousness. So that's very important. If we're, you know, Maya's, we are easy bait for Maya if we're not happy in Krishna consciousness because she'll offer us something else and say, you know, if you do this, you'll be happy. But if you're, you find your satisfaction in Krishna consciousness by being absorbed in, in, the, sadhana, in the sadhana that you like, in the service that you like, not that you minimize other sadhana, but specifically maybe focusing on certain kinds of sadhana that you like, certain kinds of service that you like, that especially inspire you, that will help you a lot, because you'll, you'll find satisfaction in Krishna consciousness. And, and one of the greatest inoculations against maya is happiness in Krishna consciousness, satisfaction in Krishna consciousness, inspiration in Krishna consciousness. And, and, and then you will, you will think that I'm so happy being a devotee, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. So that's very important. If you could imagine being happy doing something else, that's not good. Right? So I just wanted to, to drop that thought from yesterday's class if you weren't there. I think that was an important point. I've, I've mentioned it before, but in reflection on it in, in the context of the discussion of Maya, uh, Maya is much more, it's much more difficult for Maya to act on a devotee who rasovarjam rasopiasya, who's experiencing some pleasure in Krishna consciousness. And it's much easier for Maya to allure a devotee away from Krishna who's not feeling enlivened and happy and satisfied in their Krishna consciousness. So I know a lot of you think that Trying to be happy in Krishna consciousness is is really sense gratification. But if done properly, for the right reason, it, it is service. Because we know that if I'm happy in Krishna consciousness, I'll be stable. And maya will not allure me. So in that sense, it's important to be happy. And when when we say happy, we had discussed on Wednesday, I believe, when we say happy... In Krishna consciousness, we're not talking about sense gratification. 
We're talking about the pleasure that a devotee gets from engaging in sadhana and service. That, that's not sense gratification. Sense gratification means directly engaging in service of my senses. So if I find particular services that are pleasing to Guru and, Guru and Krishna and they give me satisfaction, that's not sense gratification. But that satisfaction stabilizes me. And it's in, it, based on this verse, Rasovarjam, Rasopyasya, and also based on the experience of thousands of devotees, it's actually necessary. And, and many times you will find that devotees will actually do things specifically to relish Krishna consciousness. They'll get certain association of devotees who, who they know that in their association they'll go more deeply. They will go to the Dham to get inspired, and they will go to Kirtan Mela's Japa retreats, Govardhan retreats. They will do things to inspire their Krishna consciousness. And, and while they're doing that, they never think, oh, this is sense gratification. They think, I'm doing something to go deeper into my Krishna consciousness because then I'll be able better to serve and I'll be protected so I can be of value. So although the byproduct of that is that you will relish Krishna consciousness more, but the, the point is by relishing Krishna, we could say the byproduct is that you'll be Krishna conscious and the goal is to relish Krishna consciousness more. And the, the byproduct of relishing is you'll be strong, stronger. So that's, that's a natural part of Krishna consciousness, trying to relish it. So don't ever think that if you're doing something to go more deeply into Krishna consciousness, to experience it more deeply, it's sense gratification. As long as it's done to enhance your devotional service, enhance your Krishna consciousness, it's, it's never sense gratification. It's always service. <clears throat> okay? So that, that was, from yesterday's class, I think, uh, an important point to remember, that you're, you need to find your, those things in devotional service that specifically inspire you, specifically, specifically absorb you, specifically give you happiness and that way you'll be stable in Krishna consciousness. Okay, so we're going to begin reading where we left off, although I'm not exactly sure where we left off. I didn't make a note, but I believe we're on December, excuse me, we're on February of 1969. Uh, I had, at this point, this is February 1st, so I had moved in the temple a few weeks ago. And I was living in Berkeley at this time. Hmm. So one thing I want to mention before we begin reading about these letters, there is going to be redundancy on two levels. December 1968... I think that I read I'm looking at that letter 
Okay, I can read that letter. Let's see. Um, I thought we read it. Mm, okay, we can read that. So, um, there's two kinds of redundancy in, the, in these letters. One kind of redundancy is we will hear Prabhupada saying the same thing. And another kind of redundancy, you, you will hear Prabhupada saying things which I've repeatedly said. And I specifically like to read letters where Prabhupada says something I have said. Actually, it's I'm saying what Prabhupada said, but you, do, you don't necessarily know that. So, Anurada, which one? There's two... From December, you said we read the first one, but not the second one. Is that correct? So, have we read the letter to Himavati, or no? Are we on January sixty-nine? Um, just give me more specifics. So, you, you know, if I say something, that that's fine. I've said it, but I think it's, I think it's just better if we find where Prabhupada is saying what I'm saying, which really means I'm saying what he's saying, but looking at it from this point of view, I, I, you heard it from me first, and now we're hearing it from Prabhupada, so it's just, just, it's just nice to know that when I say something, you think, oh, Prabhupada's saying, I heard it from you, but Prabhupada's saying this. Just confirmation that I didn't, like, just put two and two together and come up with five or something, or, you know, piece things together to come up with something, but it's actually what Prabhupada said. Um, yes, we read, Anuradha said, yes, we read that. What is that? Yes, we read Himavati letters, you're right. Okay. Um, so... Hmm. Yeah, so I was right. <laughs> I read a letter. Prabhupada got mad at a devotee for doubting him. <laughs> Prabhupada wanted something done. And the devotee saying, sure you want it done this way? Prabhupada said, yeah. Then he came back and he said, he found, a, a, well, maybe there's even another way to do it. You sure you want it done uh, that way also? Yes. And the Prabhupada said, he got really mad. You know, why do you keep doubting me? He said, <clears throat> Even if the spiritual master is wrong, he should do what he says. <clears throat> of course, uh, that was a particular instruction in that situation. He wanted to make that point. You know, if the spiritual master says this is milk, but it's actually a, a bottle of turpentine, and you know, you probably won't want to drink it. So we don't want to take it to that extent. Yeah. So, and then. Hearing repetition from Srila Prabhupada, it makes the points more clear. Uh, often when you hear something, it doesn't register or it doesn't register deeply. And to hear it again, it registers a little deeply. And to hear it again, it will register more deeply. And it's also more likely you will remember something if you hear it again. So I've purposely put in a lot of letters that are very similar uh, 
Sometimes they're not exactly repetitious. They're, they're the same thing, but it's looked at in a different way. So you could say it's redundant in a sense, but it's the same point looked at from different angles of vision, which is what we should be doing in studying our philosophy. So if there's redundancy, then you understand why. So I'm going to begin with February. This is a letter to Appendra. And this is 1969, February. Uh, I was a new bhakta, feeling relief from the pangs of material existence. I am pleased by your wish to remain a brahmachari, and if you stick to your decision, you will be able to go back to home, back to Godhead in this very life, without waiting for another birth. Please try in every way to stick to this principle and simply engage yourself in Krishna's service. <clears throat> that, will that will protect you from any attack of maya. Maya can take Krishna's place in our heart as soon as there is slackness on our part. Isn't that a nice statement? Maya can, like, you know, okay, Krishna, move over, I'm coming in. You know, this, this devotee doesn't really want you there. This devotee really wants me, so, you know. <laughs> you know, Krishna says, I'm in everyone's heart. And of course that's true, but what's also true is what is in your heart is what you're thinking of. So whoever you're thinking of is in your heart. So here a prophet saying, basically another word, another way of reading what prophet's saying is if you're thinking of maya or thinking of material enjoyment, then maya's in your heart. Okay, Krishna, move over. So we'll read that again. That's quite interesting. Maya can take Krishna's place in our heart as soon as there is a slackness on our part. Otherwise, if Krishna is seated always, Maya has no opportunity to occupy the seat. Try to follow this method and you will surely be successful. So, what's the example that's given in Shastra? Maya Haya Andhakar. Yaha Krishna Tahan Mayer. Krishna Surya Sam Maya Haya Andhakar. Krishna is like the sun, Maya is like darkness. Where there's Krishna, there's no darkness. Very simple example. Where there's darkness, there's no Krishna. If, there's, if it's night, there's no sun. If it's light out, there's sun. So, simple example. If Krishna's there, no Maya. If Maya's there, no Krishna. Then your life becomes dark. So, what we want to remember from this letter is Maya can take Krishna's place in our heart. I'm going to write that down. I think that is a good topic for further discussion. So as I write, I'm going to read it so you remember. Maya can take Krishna's... See if you remember it. Krishna's what? Krishna's place where? In our heart. That's very interesting. Whoever you are thinking of is in your heart. Okay. 
Now, what we're going to find in these letters, especially this is early in the movement, are devotees who are being attacked, so to speak, by Maya, falling into Maya, battling with Maya, confronting Maya, being distracted by Maya, deviated by Maya, and Prabhupada explaining how, if they're engaged always in Krishna's service, especially uh, chanting their rounds and following the principles, they'll be inoculated, so to speak. That's the basic theme that's, that will come up again and again and again, and I don't think we could overemphasize that point. Because I think a lot of devotees take 16 rounds and four principles for granted. Well, do I have to follow four? Can I follow three, three and a half, or four sometimes, three sometimes? Do I really need to chant 16? Can I chant less? Does it really matter if I don't chant my rounds well? Well, as we read these letters, we'll find that the answer is it does matter. It does matter. It does, it does affect us. At least let's say that it does affect us. And if we want to be insulated against maya, then 16 rounds and four principles are the basic defense. I have a medicine this devotee sent me when I, when I was you know, <clears throat> coughing terribly. It's called Defense Plus. It's grapefruit seed extract, vitamin C, and three different kinds of mushrooms, which are immunity builders. So, this one godbrother, when he was asked by his co-workers, what is the Hare Krishna mantra, he said it's spiritual self-defense. So I like that term. It's actually, you know, defense plus, defense against my spiritual, spiritual self-defense. Okay, so this is... Um, Another letter. This letter is to Rishikesh. This is 8th February. So far as you're occasionally getting agitation from Maya, the answer is very simple, that one must either strictly control his senses or else he must get himself married. If one is strong enough in Krishna consciousness, then there is no reason to become grihasta. But if one is still disturbed by sex desire, then marriage is the only other possibility. But if one is still brahmachari, then he must be sure to follow all the rules and regulations very strictly. There is no place in spiritual life for cheating in this matter. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu never criticized a householder for having sex life for the purpose of bearing children. But when it came to junior haridash, who was posing as sannyasi, but was still engaging in lustful thoughts, Lord Chaitanya would not tolerate. And Junior Haridas was banished from the association of the Lord. So this is very important that we remain very firm in our vow of brahmachari. Or, if that is difficult, then householder life is the next satisfactory solution. So, Uh, the basic basic point of this letter is do do what you have to do to be situated in a way that you can deal with Maya from the best position. So Prabhupada is is saying if a man 
can remain brahmachari and actually do it, then that's better or safer or simpler. But if he can't do that and he remains brahmachari or tries to remain brahmachari, but he remains thinking about women, especially sexual thoughts about women, then he should be married because that, that will be the solution for that problem. So whether you relate this to household life or relate it to anything, the point is don't remain in maya, do what's necessary. And I think a lot of times devotees have confusion because they think, <laughs> it's like they think, oh, if I get married, it's maya. I mean, look at, look at what the Shastra says. It says, it says so many things about the entanglement of the opposite sex. But the point is that they're already in maya. So from that position, marriage is the way to get out of maya. For ordinary materialistic person, marriage is the way they stay, they get into more maya and stay in maya. So that's true. But for a devotee who needs to be married, it's the way to get out of maya. And so a lot of times there are things that devotees are reluctant to do because they think they're in, they are maya. But as we uh, were speaking a few weeks ago, they're thinking about doing those things all the time. But they just don't do them because they think they're maya. So actually they're doing them. Oh, I don't want to get married. Yeah, but you're thinking about the opposite sex all the time. So once you get married, you'll stop thinking about the opposite sex, or you'll just think about one person rather than many, and you'll think about that person in a religious context. <clears throat> so you have to face, uh, quote-unquote, you have to face your stuff and deal with your stuff in a way that ultimately is going to be helpful for you. Whatever it is, whether it's marriage or anything, or certain propensities to do certain things, you, you, you may need to engage them in Krishna's service. Uh, otherwise, you're always thinking about doing them, and, and it's distracting you. And, 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 you know, anyway, you understand. We've talked about this a lot, so I want to read a little more before we go to your comments. But, but well, let me say a little something more about this. The, the goal of Krishna consciousness is, obviously, to become Krishna conscious. And, and what it means to be Krishna conscious means to become purified, to become detached, to become devoted, and so forth. So anything that's going to move you forward in becoming more Krishna conscious cannot be considered maya, even though it may externally seem like it's maya or appear to be maya. In this example, oh, it's maya if I get married. Well, for a person who doesn't need to be married, it's just an unnecessary, it's, just, it's, it's unnecessary. Why does he have to work, maintain a family? He's happy being single and he can give his whole life to service. So it doesn't make sense. <clears throat> In some cases, it would make sense if he has to do a particular service, which is not suitable for a single, to be in a single position, or there's some qualified woman, and, and she's so qualified and so valuable for a movement that only he could marry her. He's the only one who could tame her, or he's the only one she would respect, so to tame her, no. That was a joke. She's, he's the only one that, she's so qualified, she would have a hard time respecting anyone but someone as, as Krishna conscious as, as him. Sometimes that happens. That's exception. <clears throat> but the general principle is 
even if Shastra says it's better to do A than B, but if you can't do A, then you have to figure out what you're going to do. And what you're going to do, you, you simply figure out on the basis of, is this going to help me become Krishna conscious? And if it's going to help you, do it. If it's not going to help you, don't do it. You might say, oh, you know, it would really be good to do A, B, and C. But if you do A, B, and C, and you're not qualified, it's not going to help you. It will actually be problematic for you. So that's all. So don't, don't be afraid to do what you have to do to be Krishna conscious. If what you're going to do is, is going to help you, that's, that's a barometer of, of evaluating the value of that activity. Now, you know, there may be many things that help you, and, and it may not be that everything is what you should do, but it's a general principle. If something's going to help you become Krishna conscious, just do it. If it's not going to help you, don't do it. Even if it looks like, on paper, this is the most Krishna conscious thing to do, if it's not actually going to help you become Krishna conscious, don't do it. Remember what we were saying last week, I fasted on Akadasi and all day I meditated on cookies. So fasting is good, it's recommended. But the result of your fasting is meditating on cookies all day. Better just eat, eat. well, my wife makes cookies with almond powder on Akadasi. So you think they're real cookies, there's no grain. No grains. Eat your almond cookies on Akadasi and stop meditating on them and do your service. That's the idea. Okay, I am going to go back. I saw there were perhaps some comments or questions. I'm not sure, but I just want to check before we go further that we didn't miss anything relevant to this discussion. <clears throat> you were right about Varnashram Dharma. I don't remember the discussion. Daivi Varnashram. Sometimes I think that we devotees treat Maya like Christmas tree. Christmas tree devil, blaming him for all our shortcomings. Yeah, well, um, I don't follow. I'm not sure what you're referring to, I don't follow. The um, Well, the idea of blaming Maya is really, it's really the same as blaming anything for for your problems rather than blaming yourself for doing the wrong thing or making the wrong decision. <clears throat> Maya does not attack someone who is strict in their Krishna consciousness. So if Maya is attacking us, we can't blame Maya for attacking us. We have to understand that we... It, it's like when your immune system is weak, you become sick. So you could say, oh, there's a germ out. COVID or whatever, flu. So you can blame COVID for being sick, but you could also blame yourself for not maintaining a strong immune system. <clears throat> and you might say, yeah, that's true, but it's not a good example because even those with strong immune systems sometimes get sick. Okay, maybe that's true. But in the example of Maya, those with a strong Krishna conscious immune system do not get the flu of Maya. So if you're getting the flu of Maya, you can't blame Maya. You have to blame it on a weak 
immune system. And, and if you do that, then you understand, okay, my immune system's weak, and then you start thinking, what, can I, what must I do in order to strengthen my immune system, my Krishna conscious immune system? That, that, because the problem, the problem with blaming Maya or blaming a, a, anything other than ourselves is it puts the responsibility in another person's hands, and if the responsibility is in another person's hands, then you think, well, there's nothing I could do, and then you just remain, you remain in a compromised position and you don't do anything about it because you don't think it's your fault and therefore you don't think you can do anything. And then you disempower yourself from making a solution. So if I blame Maya, well, what can I do? It's just Maya. Maya's strong, what can I do? It's right there in the Bhagavad Gita. Daivyesha gunamayi, mama maya duratyaya. It's unconquerable. Krishna says duratyaya, you can't conquer it. Well, read the second half of the verse. Yeah, well, the second half says, if you surrender to me, you can. So sometimes we take the first half of the verse and believe in it and use that as an excuse. Yes, maya is very strong. There's no question. As we said, Krishna is stronger. And to blame maya on your troubles is to absolve yourself of the responsibility of being a maya. It's not my fault I took birth. And yeah, well, it is. You desired it, so it is your fault. Well, whose fault is it? Your parents? You know, my parents weren't married. They wouldn't have had me. Well, you already existed. Someone would have had you. Huh? <clears throat> okay. Krishna Karshani, how to know what to do and how to know if decision we are making is right and will not fall down at the end. Um, that may require the guidance of senior people. It may also require more sincerity on your part that Krishna will reveal. And sometimes I think it's obvious. You just, you know draw the dots. If I do A, B, and C, where is that going to take me? If I turn right on the street, where is it going to take me? If I go straight, where is it going to take me? So sometimes you can just calculate. <clears throat> but if you, if you want to turn right and you don't want to go straight, that becomes a problem because your husband says, well, we should look on the map and see where going right takes us. No, no, I just want to go right. I don't feel like going straight. No, but it may not be where we want to go. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So you may not actually want to see the consequence. And if you don't want to see the consequence, then, you know, who can help you? Excuse me for drinking with my left hand. It's kind of hard to drink with my right hand because this microphone stand is there. I can try and I have to put the bottle over to get there. Anyway, you should drink with your right hand, but of course everything's backwards. So if I drink with my left hand, you think I'm drinking with my right hand. Maybe I should just continue drinking with my left hand. Because it looks like my right hand. Well, Saturday, this internet company who's installing my internet in stages and it's still quite slow said they're going to come and put in the higher speed 
which means I could use my computer and webcam, webcam which is not backwards, which means <clears throat> when we start manufacturing T-shirts, I can wear the T-shirts and you can read them. Coming soon, the T-shirts. We're ready to launch soon. Uh, yeah. Karshani, here's another answer, and maybe this answer is, is not typically what you would expect to hear, but sometimes intuitively you know you're making a wrong decision or you can feel it's a right decision. Sometimes you just know, if I do this, because I've been a devotee for so long, I just know if I do this, it's going to produce a good result. Or if I don't do this, it's going to produce a bad result. You know that. You feel that in your body as an intuition. Or even beyond intuition, you, you just know it as a fact from experience. So sometimes... We neglect our intuition, but sometimes the intuition is very clear. Don't do this. It, it's like you, you want to do it. You think, oh, it's okay. But if you listen to your intuition or your conscience, your conscience is saying, uh, don't do it. Um, it may be okay, but it may not be okay. And if it's not okay, it could have ramifications which you will regret. regret. So... Although we don't talk a lot about conscience, not consciousness, but conscience or intuition, in some yoga text, conscience is described. And conscience is described as, as basically the way, the way they describe it is pretty much it's infallible. It's not actually affected by illusion. It's an, in, it's a, they describe it as, it's like, Almost like super soul speaking through conscience, you know. Uh, we say there's an aphorism in English saying, "Let your conscience be your guide." What should I do? Let your conscience be your guide. If you have conscience, and you listen to it, sometimes you just you just know I shouldn't do this. The problem is you want to do it, and if if you want to do it badly enough, you will allow that desire to do it to cover your conscience. And so that voice, that voice inside that's saying, don't do it, gets covered. And you just say, I want to go right. And your husband's saying, but that's not where we want to go. It doesn't matter. I just want to go that way. Okay. So, let your, so the an, one of the answer or the main answer to this question is, let your conscience be your guide. And if if you're in a situation where you're thinking, I know what I should do, but I have such a strong desire not to do it, <coughs> and I can't contain myself, um, or in any, any situation you're in where you feel like somewhat out of control, I would always recommend getting association of devotees at that point, because they will give you the right guidance because they'll be objective about it and detached. When you can't be objective and detached, just run and get association and say, this is my situation, I know I should do this, but I, I just don't want to do it, I don't have the desire to do it, I know it's wrong, can you help me? So, and, and ultimately, as you know, 
And as Prabhupada has said many times, if you don't want to help yourself, nobody can help you. So even you go to your guru and you say, Guru Maharaj, what should I do? Your guru Maharaj says, do this. Even he can't help you if you're not willing to follow. So, you know, we say, Guru is powerful, he can enter your heart, he can change your consciousness. His words can purify you, and that's all true. But you have to have fertile soil so he can put those seeds in your heart. And if your soil's not fertile, even your Guru can't change you. And that's, um, that's a, you know, an, we could say an unfortunate reality, but, and, and a, a little bit of a scary or concerning reality, but it is the reality. That, and there's a verse in the Bhagavatam, Matirna Krishna Paratasvatoba. It's spoken by Pallad Maharaj, and he he says something interesting. He said that if you are a dritavrata for sense gratification, dritavrata means determined. Dritha. It's like Vrata is vow and dritta is like determination. You know, you're you're a vow to be determined. But sometimes the Shastra says that determination is not Krishna conscious. It's it's you can you can be avowed determined for the mode of ignorance. And so Prahladmaraj says, if you are avowed and determined for sense gratification. Even God can't help you. If God came personally, it wouldn't be enough to change your mind. So that's a you know a reality we have to deal with. And if you allow yourself to become attached to something, to doing something or thinking something that is not Krishna conscious, ultimately only you can help yourself. You have to be willing to help yourself. And that's the way Krishna made us, and that's just the reality. Uh. <laughs> Govina says, what to do when I'm without almond cookies to get married to? Well, I can tell you what my wife says. Go to a store that has a lot of almond cookies. Uh, that's, that's her way of saying, you have to to be in some situation where you can meet your potential wife. So go find out where Bhaktin Betsy lives and, you know, get a, um, get a job delivering newspapers in that neighborhood and maybe you'll meet her. Um, something, some situation where you're um, able to meet potential you know, like some devotees are living in the middle of nowhere and there's absolutely no one to marry. Something has to be done digitally or personally. But perhaps we could say more importantly is first become qualified to be a husband or a wife before you look for someone else because you have the potential, if you're not qualified, to really hurt them by being a bad spouse. So I would say, you know, my feeling often, and, and we, I've seen this many times, is that when you prepare yourself, then Krishna sends. Like, like we're, we're preparing a support group for people who are struggling with sexual addictions. 
And the more we prepare, the more people come. Like, just, they don't even know about it, and they're asking me, you have anything, you know, to help? So a lot of times when you prepare yourself, then Krishna sends, oh, I see that you're a very capable and qualified man or a very capable and qualified woman. There's another capable and qualified woman or man that needs a husband or a wife. So sometimes it works that way. So that's um, how I would start. The second thing I would do is, and I don't know if this is a problem for any of you, but if it is, the second thing I would do is I would remove from my consciousness any negative connotations about Grihastashram. Because you don't want to marry with negative connotations. And there are negative connotations where it can be interpreted that way in Shastra and in classes you've heard, especially if the class is directed to renunciates, they'll be told about the pitfalls of Grihastha life or, or the, the unpleasant things about Grihastha life, and it's there in the fifth canto. Uh, referring to ordinary materialistic life, but sometimes even for a devotee, it can become a bit ordinary, and they experience some of that. And if you, you have these negative ideas about Grihastha life, it's going to be difficult, women are, you know, really the women are like witches, and the, the guys in this case, Kali Yuga, they're all just like pretty useless and stupid, and you have these connotations, and it, and it's just a big entanglement, and raising kids is just so much trouble, and I could just, you know, better, I could just do devotional service and not get married. That <clears throat> There may be some truth to that, actually, but there may be a lot of untruth to that as well. And so, I don't want to say Grihastha life is easy. I don't want to say it's easy to raise kids. I don't want to say it's easy to deal with another person. But it can be done, and it can, it can be done well. And it can, it can be done satisfactorily, and it can be done in a way that you can be very satisfied and happy. Uh, but it does take some work, no doubt. But the point is, if you if you go in, and many men, I don't know about women, because I'm not a woman, I can't speak for them, but many men have entered Grihastha life kind of in the mood, like, I, I'd rather be a brahmachari, but I can't do it, so I have to get married, and this is going to be difficult and troublesome, and etc. And so they have all these negative expectations, and it's almost like they kind of make it happen just to prove their expectations. So this is my general instruction to anyone who wants to get married. Become, do what you have to do, take the courses you have to take to become, listen to um, many, many talks about Grihastha Ashram given by different devotees. Their books are out there. <clears throat> and do what you have to do to be qualified as a responsible spouse and if you have any these negative connotations that you feel that could negatively impact your marriage, then work to remove yourself. Uh, try to understand the benefits of marriage and why it's, it's good for most people. Then Krishna may send you cookies. You may get a whole package of cookies that you didn't even order. They just showed up at your door. I don't know. The postman, you know, maybe it was supposed to be next door and... He delivered them to you. Who knows? At least 
that, before you do anything practical, like being in places where there are other devotee women your age, at least do that first. Because, because Gopinath, even if I had the perfect wife for you who lived in Chile, in your neighborhood, in your age group, I would never tell her that you are eligible until I was convinced that you were qualified to be a good husband. And there's a lot of devotees that come to me and say, can you find me a spouse? And I don't tell them this, but in my mind, no, because I know you're not qualified. I can't find you one. Because I know you you have so many personal issues that would drive your spouse crazy. It would be a very bad relationship. You need to heal first. So, that's another topic. That's But anyway, it came up, right? So, if you want the cookies, uh, then make sure you can digest them and get healthy cookies also. Uh, Christians tend to blame the devil, yeah. The devil made me do it, which is um, something Prabhupada never taught, of course, and something we should avoid teaching. Okay, the sun has risen. Hold on a second. You get to see the sunrise during class. It is not my effulgence. I'm sorry to tell you that is lighting the room. It's actually the sun. But there'll be daylight savings next week sometime or beginning of the following week. So we'll have... Um, more light in the morning. Okay, that might help a bit. Okay, so we have one more question. How can we help those close to us who fall into past bad habits that make it difficult for them to follow the four regs? <clears throat> but see, I don't know who they are and their nature. Um, but one way is just to sit them down and say, we have to do something about it. This is intolerable, and it has to stop. And you, as we say in America, you put your foot down and say, you know, because I don't know who this person is. You know, if it's a spouse, you can't kick them out of the house. If it's a son or daughter that's old enough to live on their own, you can. say, so if you're going to live like this, you can't live in the house like that. If you're going to take drugs, you can't live here. If you're going to do this, you can't. Of course, it's always better to reason with people, explain why they're harming themselves. And, and before you talk to them, you may want to research ways that they could get help, whether it's to bring a counselor in or there's a program they could enter or whatever it is, offer some alternative. And say, you know, I think... This is a problem, and we, I think you should do this. These are options you can do. Yeah, sounding better. Not completely, but there's still an ocean of mucus floating around here, blocking my head a bit, but getting better, yes. Um, or 
The point is, if, if someone has a problem, a serious problem like you're talking about, generally it doesn't get better just by sitting around and doing nothing. And so if they're sitting around and doing nothing, there needs to be an intervention by someone who says, you have to do something. This is, you know, destroying you, it's destroying me, it's destroying this, it's destroying that. So that's the idea. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to read some more. Mm. This is also from February, and this is a letter to Hanksaduda. Regarding your question about Durga and Subhadra, they are not at all the same. Durga's other name is Bhadra, not Subhadra. And Durga's activities are within the material world. Subhadra does not work as Durga. Subhadra is the internal energy, and Durga is the external energy. As energy, they have a relationship as much as we are energies of Krishna, <clears throat> but the energies are working in different capacities. Although originally the energy is one, by their expansion, the accents of the energies are different. And as we are not impersonalists, this variegatedness of actions is essential for the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as much as the government is one, but there are multi-departments for management of government. The education department and the criminal department are all departments of the government. The government is connected with all parts and departments, but the education activities are different from the criminal activities. The educational activities are different from the criminal activities. This is the philosophy of inconceivably simultaneously one and different manifestations of the Absolute. So you have maya and what we call maha maya, which is the external energy which covers Krishna. And you have yoga maya, which is the internal energy which also covers Krishna, but the internal energy, as described here, is shubhadra, Shubhadra, the external energy is Durga. And Durga's job is to keep people away from Krishna. And Yogamaya or Subhadra's job is to keep people attached to Krishna. And so then you might say, well, if if both Yogamaya and Mahamaya cover Krishna, how could they become attached to Krishna if he's covered? Uh, Subhadra's covering his, covering his majesty. And so the pure love for Krishna is stronger when then majesty is removed. So you're not loving him because he's great, you're loving him because he's beautiful and he's loving. So that's how that's the difference. So that was the question. There was a confusion. And Prabhupada's saying it, it's like, you know, it's one energy, like from the sun you get light, but from the sun you get shadows. The sun is creating shadows. Mm -hmm. So Maha Maya is like the shadow and Yoga Maya is like the sun. And Prabhupada once said, if you put your back to the sun, you create a shadow. So it's not the, you could say the sun is creating the shadow, but actually we're creating the shadow. It's, it's ultimately we're the ones creating it. Although the sun is, it seems like because of the sun, 
shadows are created, but it's really because of us that the shadows created, because of us turning our back. <coughs> so when you turn your back on yoga maya, then there's mahamaya. So that's the difference. And in every moment of our lives, we're either going to get yoga maya or mahamaya, or maybe a combination of both, 50%, you know. Well, I'm looking at this movie, it's kind of Krishna conscious, you know. <laughs> oh, this song, it reminds me of Krishna, you know. Maybe you're getting a little both. Okay, there's more comments here. In Italy, His Grace Matya Avatar Prabhu teaches his devotees to call the four principles four principles of freedom because following these principles we become free from maya. I think words can help to set our mind in a good place. Yeah, it's, it's true. Because otherwise you'll look at them as four restrictions when they're actually they're freedom. Now because if we... If we don't follow the four regular principles, then we're bound by those actions. We're controlled, we're controlled by intoxication, illicit sex, gambling, and meat-eating. And when you follow them, you're free. So yes, the four regular principles of freedom. Uh, Krishna uses that word in the Bhagavad Gita, actually. The principles, the regular principles of freedom. One devotee, he was kind of clever, he said... You know, you want to be free to do whatever you want, so why don't you just drive down the street and go through all the red lights and don't, don't be restricted? Because if you do that, you'll end up in the hospital or perhaps dead. So the restriction actually gives you freedom to live. If you're unrestricted driving down the highway, you'll kill yourself. Or, you know, why be restricted to one side of the road, you know? It's little variety is nice. Let's drive on the other side of the road. <clears throat> okay. If we want cookies, we have to be sure if we are able to digest them. I love the statement you made, yeah. Because, because a lot of people get married and they don't, can't digest the cookies. Um, yeah, disciples... Yeah, we understood. If English is not your first language, I, I um, don't always expect that your English will be perfect. And I sometimes read what you've said in proper English if it's not <laughs> written in proper English. And I speak little, little French, little, 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 little Spanish, three words in Hebrew, five words in Russian, so I totally understand you you are far ahead of me on your second language I couldn't I don't think I could write much in, in French even though I probably studied it for three or four years <clears throat> back in another yuga so um, my college yuga my high school and college yuga So, um, 
the next letter is 6903. This is to Krishna Das. I'm not going to read the first part of that letter. It's not relevant. I'm sorry to learn that you are also attacked with flu fever, as most of the boys in this country have also been attacked this past winter. So this attack of Maya's agent is not very uncommon. When Krishna was present, he was being attacked by Maya's agent almost every day during his childhood. When he was just born, within three months, he was attacked by Putana. When he was a little grown, then he was attacked by Shakatashura, then by Trinavarta, and then Agha, Makasu, Makasu, then Kaliya, then Godavarsu, Godav. I think the spelling is a problem. So, Maya's agents do not let even Krishna want to speak of us. So that's kind of scary, isn't it? Mm. He will. Um, mm, mm. They will act in their own way, but as Krishna miraculous, miraculously saved himself from the hands of all these demons, similarly, he will always save his devotees. He has declared in the Gita, My dear son of Kunti, just declare it to the whole world that my devotees will never be vanquished. Therefore, your only business is to become a pure devotee of Lord Krishna. Then everything is all right. Please remember this truth always and do your duty for strongly pushing on this Krishna consciousness movement in Germany in cooperation with Shibananda Uttama Shloka and Jai Govinda, whom I think might have already joined you. So, the theme that is going to come up more and more is uh, Bhagavad Gita 7.14, Maya is inconquerable, unconquerable, but surmountable by Krishna's mercy. So this is, this is kind of like the theme of our life because as devotees who are not yet pure, sometimes we are attacked by Maya, and sometimes it's very subtle. It can be philosophical deviation. It could be... Um, emotional problems that affect our bhakti. It could be relational problems uh, that affect our bhakti, cause us to make offenses. Not necessarily so, uh, things which are so obvious to us. And Prabhupada you know, was very bold in going to America <coughs> and giving us initiation and installing deities and telling us you can be Krishna conscious. And uh, that, means, that means Prabhupada had faith, that uh, extreme faith in the four principles and 16 rounds. Isn't it? I think it's a very practical example. Um, unless he had implicit faith in the purifying power of four principles and 16 rounds, he, he wouldn't have initiated anybody. What to speak of installed deities? what to speak of sent devotees around the world to establish temples. So, what I would like you or suggest that you remember from this class and coming classes is that Prabhupada is telling us Maya is very powerful, basically insurmountable, but the holy name, the regulative principles and the process of Krishna consciousness of hearing and chanting are more powerful than Maya. 
And if we stick to that, 24-7, we'll be fine. Maya cannot stop us. And we have practical experience. Both sides, Maya stopping us and Maya not stopping us. Isn't it? Now, sometimes we see, I was just, I was watching yesterday, it was an old festival. It was a reunion of Prabhupada disciples in Australia in 1992. It just came up on this, this channel called Krishna Tube. It's all Krishna conscious videos. And uh, it's kind of like an archive for all kinds of Krishna conscious videos. So you'll see all these old videos. It's interesting to watch. On, on that channel, there's a festival from 1970 in Berkeley in March, Gorpanim Festival. And just interesting to watch because you actually see what it's like there. And everybody there is just a freak, basically. Hippie, you know, and Berkeley was the um, San Francisco area was the center. It's just interesting to watch. This is what ISKCON was. This is this is the culture that I came from, came out of. And this is 1992. Uh, Prabhupada reunion. Most of the devotees are in their early 30s, and you know. They, one devotee said, I, I haven't seen these devotees in 20 years. So they hadn't, she hadn't seen them since 1972. And a lot of devotees have been out on their own. They're no longer living in temples. And they were saying that it was just an amazing experience to come together with all these devotees. And they were so inspired and they were saying, I hope we could do this again and again. This has been... One devotee said, I said, I, I never laugh so much, <laughs> or I never had so much fun in years. I've never been so inspired in years. So, so the point is, Maya may be strong, 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 and then you have a festival, you come together, and, and you may yourself have, 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 been, have been battling with Maya for many years, but you come into that situation, Krishna consciousness is there, and immediately there's no Maya. Everything is blissful. Practical, right? So, that's Prabhupada's idea. Okay. Well, we're getting to read a lot today. It is our lucky day. Okay. Now we're in July. Where were you in July of 1969? I was in San Jose, California. Before it was Silicon Valley, and you could live in San Jose very inexpensively. We started a temple there, actually. Had I known it was going to turn into Silicon Valley, I would have called my father up and said, buy up this city. It's going to be an amazing place. Now, that same house that was just a simple house, probably in those days cost like $25,000. Now it's about a million plus. Who would have known? Uh, regarding, okay, so this is July. This is a letter to Joel, uninitiated devotee or maybe not even a devotee yet. Please read our literatures carefully and try to give service to Krishna as far as possible. 
Whenever you are in doubt, you can ask me, and I am at your service. But one point you should not miss, that this life is very important to awaken our dormant Christian consciousness. And we should not miss this opportunity in any circumstance. That would be a great blunder. We must be very cautious to not fall prey to the clutches of Maya, because in this material world, Maya is very prominent, although Krishna is everything. Isn't that interesting? Prabhupada saying, Krishna is everything, which also means Krishna is everywhere. Krishna is everything. Krishna is everywhere. And still, Maya is prominent. Uh, Krishna, can you move over? This this person is calling me. You know, can I can I sit in his heart? <clears throat> Krishna is everywhere. But. Uh, Maya will find her way in. Maya and Krishna are just like the sunshine and darkness. The darkness has no independent existence without the sun. But still the darkness is existing. In, what does that mean? Dark, darkness does not exist on its own. You can't go to Walmart or your, your local big shopping center and buy a bottle of darkness and then in the middle of the day just open it up and it's dark. Darkness can only come when there's no sun. It's relative to the sun, but it doesn't have its own existence. That's Prabhupada's point. Maya and Krishna are just like the sunshine and darkness. The darkness has no independent existence without the sun. But still, the darkness is existing in some corner of the sunlight. If we therefore always keep ourselves exposed to the open sunlight, in other words, you can create you can block the sun, create some shadow. If we therefore always keep ourselves exposed to the open sunlight, there is no cause of being attacked by the darkness. If you keep yourself faced to the sunlight, you will never see the darkness. And as soon as you turn your back to the sun, then immediately you will find in your front a huge shadow of your own body. This shadow is maya. And if you turn to the sun, to Krishna, then there is no shadow. Therefore, Krishna should always be in front of us, and Maya will disappear automatically without any separate attention. Good point. You can say like chanting Hare Krishna is like facing the sun. And then um, doing something not related to Krishna's, it's turning our back to the sun. So then there's going to be a shadow. And who created the shadow, ladies and gentlemen? We did. Yogis and jnanis artificially try to get rid of maya. But in spite of their much endeavor for spiritual realization, they are still in the kingdom of maya. In other words, anything which is set back to the realiza realization of Krishna consciousness is of Krishna consciousness. Whoa. Anything which is a setback to the realization of Krishna consciousness is of Krishna consciousness, that's not said right, anything which is a setback to the realization of Krishna consciousness is maya. So let's go back, what Prabhupada is saying. He's saying, <clears throat> okay, you're a yogi and a jnani, you're trying to advance, but there's a problem. What's the problem? Well, we live in the kingdom of maya. So, 
unless you bring in Krishna consciousness, you're only left with Maya. You know, it's like you walk into a house, it's dark. If you don't turn on the lights, it remains dark. So we live in the kingdom of Maya. Of Maya. As soon as there's no light of Krishna consciousness, what do you have? You have Maya. Maya is all around us. Maya in front of you, behind you, above you, below you, to the right, to the left. And so a devotee, he brings light into the darkness. But Prabhupada saying the yogis and jnanis are not really bringing in light, and therefore, or it's not enough light to see anything. Anyone who is not in Krishna consciousness is supposed to be in Maya. And anyone who is in full Krishna consciousness is out of the clutches of Maya. These are the statements of the Vedic literatures. And we should try to understand and follow the principles. So Prabhupada is saying that yoga and jnana, unless it's bringing one to Krishna consciousness, it can't dispel Maya. And Prabhupada gives the example many times that these yogis or jnanis are trying to become God, but it's and they're doing austerity and practicing spiritual life, so-called, but the result is their attempt to try to become God is just, as Prabhupada said, it's really the highest form of sense gratification. So they're not really renounced. It just, it looks like it, but internally they're not renounced. Their aspiration is to become God so that they can enjoy. So that's an example of that you're in the world of Maya and you're cultivating Maya, basically. Okay, so we have time to read more. This is August. This is when this is August 68. No, 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 no. So I'm giving you wrong information. February 69, I was not... It was February of 70, that's when I became a devotee. Wrong information. Delete it all. Incorrect. But this is August of 1969. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I was hanging out in San Francisco at that time. And I won't tell you what I was doing because not interesting. I can understand from your letter that you are a fit soldier for fighting with Maya. Our Krishna consciousness movement is a declaration of war against the activities of Maya. The real description of Maya is given in a Vedic literature called Markandeya Purana in the chapter Chandika. Chandika is another name of the external energy called Maya. This Chandika is described there as the goddess who is putting all conditioned souls in darkness. In this material world, every living entity is under the spell of this Chandika. <clears throat> Almost asleep in darkness without knowledge, every living entity is part and parcel, spirit, soul. But in contact with Maya, it has developed different types of consciousness represented by varieties of bodies, beginning with the aquatics and going to the bodies of demigods and higher planets. 
these different grades of bodies are developing in terms of life. Okay, so we have some questions. Anandita. Yesterday you spoke on how to deal with devotees or leaders who we may feel have let us down. We can deal with this by reminding ourselves they are conditioned souls. Is there another way we can deal with this to not impede our own devotional life? Well, of course, you know, when these questions... Um, When these questions are asked, I don't know the leader, I don't know the devotee who's having trouble, and I don't know the specifics, so I can only speak in general. And I can give various general principles. Some may be applicable and some may not be. Uh, one principle that I've seen, or one reality that I've seen, is that a leader who we believe is not acting properly in every situation can really be a source of distress for us and also be a source of time-wasting and energy-wasting and distraction. Because often, often what happens is the more I think about that leader, the more upset I get about what that leader is doing which then may cause me to make offenses, which is unhealthy. But aside from the offenses, which, which of course, we should avoid because they, they can severely harm our bhakti, it's also, it also has other implications. Like, one of the things we see is that it can be very discouraging. Like, um, I don't really want to deal with this temple or I don't want to deal with ISKCON because of such leaders. I'm just discouraged. I don't want to engage. It, it can have the effect of distraction, which means we get absorbed. We're always talking about the problem. And always talking about a problem in, in, in and of itself can be a problem, even if the problem is real. It can be a problem if there's nothing I can do about it, if it's a reality that it's just, it's just the way it is. Sometimes nobody can do anything about it. It's the way the person is, and there's no one else to take his position, and so what can be done? And he has been spoken to about the problem, and he acknowledges it, but he continues to do it. And so in that case, by dwelling on it, because there's nothing that can be done, we're... We're discouraging ourselves, and when you dwell on a problem continuously, generally what happens is you become frustrated, fed up, discouraged, angry, etc. So that's something to consider. And I can tell you the way I have dealt with it in many cases is um, I acknowledge that this is the nature of this person, and this is how this person will act. And there is, I may not agree with it in every situation, but there's no one else to do it. This is how he has acted and continues to act. So we know that it's not going to be any different. And 
I'm not willing to take his position and he may not even let me even if I offered and there's no one else. So sometimes you're confronted with a situation where you're not happy about it, but you can't do anything about it. And all you can do is decide how you want to interact, interface with that leader or that temple or that project. And you have to make that decision yourself. And that may be the only thing you can do. And other than that, you have to, you have no choice but to, to, to act in a way which will not be detrimental to your bhakti. And so the, the way Maya gets in in this situation <clears throat> is she gets you very riled up, she gets you very absorbed, and you spend lots of time talking about the problem. And I, I know this because I've been through it. When Prabhupada left a few years after, we had many problems. And that was the only discussion we ever had with our godbrothers. It was just about what's to be done about these problems, describing these problems, and basically becoming discouraged and frustrated about the problems. And there was a certain point where we realized what I'm telling you, that only Krishna can do something about this because we've tried and we really need to move on with our lives and their service and stop talking about this. And so, Arandita, something I've seen which is it's kind of a, a boomerang type situation that someone does something wrong and as, as a consequence we all become absorbed in talking about it. So then what he did has sparked the next downward spiral. So we say, well, what he does is, does is bad. Now we're all talking about how bad he is. That's actually one stage lower than what he's doing now. And we're even, we're even more deviated. So Maya's just you know, amazing. Uh, she'll, she can take the misbehavior of one devotee and magnify it and multiply it into all kinds of new forms of Maya, to distract, to discourage, to disappoint, and to cause us to be offensive, and even in some cases, to cause us so to be so offensive, we, we talk ourselves right out of ISKCON. Oh, ISKCON this, and these devotees are that, and GBC this, the gurus that, <clears throat> and pretty soon, you know, you, you decide you don't want to be part of this organization, and the, the problem is you need the association of devotees. So I've seen many devotees go through this frustration stage and then leave, but then they don't get the association of devotees and then their spiritual life suffers. So, I don't know if that answered your question completely, but that is one answer to consider. Or a variety of answers. Um, Hare Krishna. Anandita, did that answer your question or you have more to ask about that? I have been to temples I have been to temples where everybody's talking about certain problems it becomes the kata and certainly that's not pleasing to Prabhupada Prabhupada wants us to be obviously absorbed in Krishna kata not TP kata or GBC kata 
or bogus this leader kata, bogus so-called bogus that leader kata. So Nadi says, discussing the problem is necessary, but not more than the time needed to find a solution. Then we should drop the topic, right? Yes. But I would also add, discussing the problem <clears throat> may not be necessary for everybody. Because, because sometimes we discuss a problem, but the problem is we can't do anything about it. So it's it, you know, the question has to be asked, why are you spending time discussing the problem if you can't do anything about it? Now, you may want to discuss a problem as a philosophical exercise to say, okay, there's this controversy, should women initiate, shouldn't they? And so, you know, what does it matter what I think because I'm not a decision maker? So should I involve, involve myself in thinking about it? And especially... I shouldn't involve myself in thinking about it if I have a strong opinion about it and I'm going to be offensive towards those who don't agree with me. But you may want to discuss it as a philosophical exercise. Okay, well, what does the Shastra say? What does Prabhupada say? What does our tradition say? And it's purely a philosophical exercise which is devoid of any, any vested interest or emotional concern or emotional investment in whether women become gurus or not. Because it inspires you to say, well, this, this brings up a lot of <clears throat> interesting ideas that we could discuss. So, those are something to think about. We should drop the topic to avoid getting absorbed. Absorbed. It's with a B. Absorbed. Absorbed. I see many devotees going through the same. They get damaged and they cannot stop talking about it. Then they naturally go away. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I think we should see this as one of the ways that Maya can take a problem in ISKCON and magnify it in a way that that problem now affects people that it shouldn't affect and it has a negative impact on them. So you have to be careful because there, there's so much service to do and there's so many projects we can be doing and there's so many people who don't know about Krishna. And if, if I absorb myself in talking about problems which I may have no influence on or whether they're solved or not may have not much impact on what I do then it would be or my life in general then it would be better that that energy that I was using to criticize, condemn, absorb whatever it is I could use that positive, positively in service and so that that's what happens often is that people get absorbed in the problem and they minimize or they stop their service. That's unfortunate, you know. The, like a lot of times, I've been in groups and we're discussing problems, and I'm thinking, how many people could we have met today if we weren't sitting around discussing this? And there was, you know, I specifically think that when there's really no conclusion or whatever conclusion we came to 
has no meaning because we can't do anything with it. We're not in a position to institute that conclusion within ISKCON. And so was that time wisely spent? And often the answer is, no, it wasn't. It was actually, it was actually time wasted. And then Maya just distracted us from our real mission. So these are things, obviously, that we want to think about. <clears throat> Separation from Krishna and the devotees is Maya succeeding. Yeah, maybe we should see it that way, and we should fight here back. Yeah, if you want to fight, fight Maya. You know, yeah, it's it's just I just see it as a huge carrot because some people's nature is they they can't stand injustice, and when they see injustice, that just absorbs them. But then they. They sometimes like talk themselves right out of the association of devotees because they think you know everybody's bad and and if you like the devotee that I don't like then I don't like you and you know it's not good. Uh, fight her back, yeah. Her here, fight here back. Okay. All right. We have five and five minutes and thirty seconds. Should we read some more? Are you ready? <clears throat> the only problem is the more I read, the less people watch the class. <laughs> the more you ask questions, the more there's discussion. <laughs> the more people watch the class. I I look at the numbers. <clears throat> And I tend to see the numbers go down when I read a lot. <coughs> Unfortunately. Maybe I need to read it. I'm kind of like low energy now. Maybe I need to like... kind of feel like I could just fall asleep in my chair. Um, okay, I'm going to read it with more energy. Well, we will pretend that I am reading for a radio show. When the consciousness comes to the point of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then life becomes perfect in its original condition. Therefore, in a sense, this Krishna consciousness movement is declaring war against Chandika, who has kept the living entities under the spell. Chandika's first spell is to make us identify ourselves with these material conditions. Just like a living entity, because he is born and brought up in American condition, he thinks himself as American. Similarly, others are thinking they are Indians, or Canadians, or French, and so on. Actually, one is none of these material designations. But he is pure Krishna consciousness, now covered by the smell. The smell and spell, now covered by the spell, but smell also, of Chandika's energy of the material, or the material energy. That is to uh, either a new devotee or someone who is not part of Iskand. Um, mm. So, this is, um, I always find it, I always find it so interesting when Prabhupada mentions how we think we're Americans or Indians 
or French or Canadian or whatever we think. Um, So, um, what I find interesting about it is the fact that we really have no, we really have very little realization of that. And I was thinking about it this morning. You know, we all heard this example, which is such a good example of the car and the driver, and identifying yourself with the car. Okay, my friend picks me up, it's a brand new Mercedes, and I'm driving around, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm better than other people, I'm in a Mercedes. I'm identifying the car. We have some experience with that, right? But how much experience do you have of identifying your body as a car? And and when you see another person, maybe a person who's not as wealthy or as educated or beautiful as you, and you just think, well, it's just, it has nothing to do with them, that's just a car. How often does that happen? Or when you see a member of the opposite sex, do you think, well, it's just a car, and I am, a, you know, I'm not, they're not that sex, and I'm not this sex, it's just a car. How often do we think like that? Or maybe the question could be, have you ever, do you ever think like that? Or maybe the question is, feel, how often have you felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? Like purely, like it's just a vehicle, and which has nothing to do with the wife vehicle who <coughs> we identify as the wife who's not really, and identify as the child, son or daughter who's not really. I mean, how often do we feel that way? Have we ever felt that way? That, that's why it's so interesting when Prabhupada talks about this. It kind of shows us where we're at spiritually when we ask these questions of ourselves. We reflect. How to deal with that sense of injustice? And some people, I too think that that is a major factor in these kinds of situations. Many people sensitive with feminism and other kinds of differentiation and injustices. They're right about it and there's a way to deal with it without leaving us gone. Um, this is um, this question well, let me rephrase the question just so everybody's clear what Nadia Rada is, is asking. She's asking you see, if you see what you perceive as an injustice in this example towards women where they're being maybe held back in their devotional service or being demeaned in some way in a class, or in the culture of the temple. And, and to you, justice, equal treatment, and so forth is extremely important. How do you deal with it without making offenses? One of the, one of the best ways to deal with a situation like this if justice is important to you, is, is to find a way that you can do something to improve the situation. Because then, if you feel like you're contributing to making it better, it will pacify that critical side or that side that demands justice to the point where you would make offenses to others. If you, if you feel that you can do something and make progress in that area, that will help you. Now, then you might say, but what if 
I'm not in a position to do that. If you're not in a position to do that, then one thing I would suggest is that you realize that you are in a very challenged situation. If justice is like a high priority in your life and you can't, into- you can't tolerate injustice, then that's something that I would suggest you work- you're going to have to work on because as we all know, injustice is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And if injustice drives you crazy, pretty much your life is going to be crazy because injustice is everywhere. But if you can take that and apply it and help it, that will help you. Now, I mentioned, (laughs) you might say, I can't do anything. But if you think about it, you can do something. You can write an article. You can make a video. you You could get a class together and say, we need to discuss this. You could make observations and give feedback to leaders. You can do things. But you can do it in a Christian conscious way without being frustrated and angry and tearing people down. See, the problem is, when it goes back to the same thing I was saying before. When you see something wrong, then often there's the problem where in trying to solve it, you also do something wrong, according to Vaishnava etiquette, and you also become offensive. Or maybe you might even do something unjust. So, um, that's the, uh, that's just the reality that we have to deal with. Mm. Mm -mm. Yeah, I'm not the body, I've said it a million times. When I see other bodies, do I not judge other bodies? Do I not feel certain feelings for other bodies based on the body? Or do I see that the body is just a vehicle for that person? We've got some ways to go. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Whatever, whatever you see in ISKCON that needs improving... Don't allow that to discourage you, but allow that to inspire you to do something to make it better. Otherwise, you're going to self-destruct if you focus on everything that's wrong. And no matter how many things we correct, because we're human beings and new human beings are always joining ISKCON who are conditioned by a very materialistic society, there's always going to be somebody doing something wrong. Not because... They intend to do it wrong, but they're conditioned by society. Correcto. So, you know, we need to learn to deal with it because it's always going to be there. Just when you think everything's in place, someone's going to show up and move it out of place because they didn't know or that's their nature. Okay. So if you all want to join, we'll be chanting Japa in about two and a half hours. Two hours and 25 minutes. We will see you there. Hare Krishna. Jai Prabhupada.